coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. <clears throat> yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. Let's get into the Bible because that's what's important. John chapter 13, verse 35. We're continuing our series called Friends, and you'll figure out why in a moment. Here it is, John chapter 13, verse 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, oftentimes as Christians or believers, we like to substitute in other words just right there because we think that, you know, our spiritual gifting will prove to the world that you that we're his disciples. We think that our fantastic fashion sense will prove to the world that, uh, you know, that we are, this is mine, right? Amazing. Thank you, Katie. Um, that will prove to the world that we're his disciples. We think that, you know, our, our, our spiritual abilities or our prowess, our knowledge of the Bible, how loud we sing at church, how amazing we lift our hands, those things will all prove that we're all his disciples. But Jesus says, actually, it's actually a lot more simple than you thought. It's just your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's not about how many Bible books you know. It's your love that's going to prove to everyone around you that you follow Jesus. Romans 12 verse 9 says this, don't just pretend to love others. Anyone guilty? Any fakers in the room? All right. You're lying, all of you. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. That's how we really love people. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good and love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. I love another translation. It doesn't, just, it doesn't just say love each other with genuine affection. It says be devoted to one another. Stick around long enough when people are going through hard times to help them through. Boom. Don't just bail because it's going to get messy or it's going to get sloppy or there's drama. You know, so often we're like, oh, man, you know, you're going through such a hard time and I don't know how to cope and I don't know how you're coping. So I'm going to go away now. That's the time. That's the moment we need to be present. That's the moment where we need to be there. You don't even need to have the words. You just need to stick around. That's how people know that you care about them, where through thick and thin, through all the stuff, through all the moments when everyone else is running away, you're still there. Why? Because we're just borrowing an attribute of Jesus called faithfulness. Jesus says he will never leave you or forsake you. What if we took that mantra, that idea, that concept, applied it to our own relationships and said, listen, I'm going to put on the faithfulness of Jesus, and you're my friend, you're my family, this is the, the family of God, this, this church, this is our family, and we're going to say, listen, I'm going to stand by you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Might feel different, might look different, we might behave differently instead of, oh, you're going through hard times, I'm out. Thank you. Is that a, the Holy Ghost up there? Just in case you're wondering. In case you're wondering what that is. He's gone now. So when I was a little kid, uh, we used to take, you know, we would every once in a while have people come over to our house, and my family would take that very seriously. And by very seriously, I mean my mom turned our home into a boot camp. And it's traumatizing me, and I just kind of talk about these things while I'm speaking, just kind of bring some inner healing to myself. But what, what we would do, like if somebody, if company was coming, 
And it could be anyone from the Queen of England to the milkman and his wife, because back in the day we used to have a milkman. And if I just said the milkman, you'd ask what was going on in my family. <laughs> like, it's funny business. Um, it doesn't matter who's coming over. We would go into a mode where for 14 hours before their arrival, we would clean everything. We would go, like, beast mode. Like, it's like our house never looked so amazing because my fingers were bleeding from scrubbing the floors. And though my fingers never bled, I felt like that way emotionally, and I should be special now. But anyways... We did so much because we were like, man, all these people are coming. Our house looks so it has to look amazing. And my mom was crazy nuts. And we were scrubbing toilets and cleaning every surface and making the food and setting the table. It didn't matter who it was. Why? Because we wanted to honor our guests. We wanted our guests to feel comfortable. Yes, like Beauty and the Beast, be our guest. We just wanted people to feel at home. And apparently for my mom, that meant everything had to be perfect. But we wanted to honor our guests. I love this verse. Take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in honoring each other. How do we show love? We take delight in taking care of things for other people. Now, when you come over, I just stuff things in drawers and closets and all kinds. Please don't open anything that I haven't told you you're allowed to open. There's probably something that's not supposed to be there in there. Like when you know, Craig came over, I'm pretty sure we had a body in the, in the closet at some point. It's like, please don't open that. Uh, but that's just how I clean up. Des doesn't, doesn't like it because we want people to feel comfortable. And can I just tell you when it's dirty? It's not comfortable. All right. You might be comfortable in your own fifth, but filth, but none of your other guests are. So that, that's just an added bonus for all you bachelors in the room. But we do that to honor one another. We make these grand gestures, and sometimes it's misguided, and you clean all day to do that. But you do it because you, you just want to take delight in honoring somebody else. The truth is they probably didn't even notice. They just assumed your house was that amazing all the time. And it is, I'm sure. It's always that amazing. We take delight. Does anyone have any siblings in the house? Anyone siblings? Brothers, sisters, anyone? Siblings are the worst, right? Like, I didn't like my sister until she was, like, 25. Like, I, she moved away for five years, and it was the best time of our relationship ever. It's like you learn to appreciate your sibling more when they're gone, you know? It's like, oh, I think I might like you. I'm learning to love all over again. But um, when we were little kids, you know that moment where, for whatever reason, your sibling wants to ruin your life, and they just take the next two hours to bait you into doing something that you shouldn't be doing so you get in trouble for no other reason than the pure joy of it? It's like you're just playing, doing whatever the things you're doing when you're a kid, and your sister's like, hit me. And I'm like, what? I'm not going to hit you. What kind of man do you think I am? I don't. You're seven. Fine, but I'm still not going to hit you. And for the next two hours, she proceeds to follow you around and call you names and do ridiculous things. So only that thing inside of you called rage starts welling up to just the perfect moment. And they just know because they keep actually slowly drifting you closer and closer to your parents. So that the moment when the rage finally comes out and she's like waiting, waiting, small push. I'm like, smack. She's like, he hit me. I'm like, you forced me to hit me for the last two hours. Because your sibling takes delight in seeing the other person get in trouble. They take delight in seeing the other person take the blame. They take delight in seeing you in pain. And unfortunately for most of us, that's the default way we live our lives. We don't take delight in honoring one another or taking care of one another. We, we take delight in seeing other people fail. It's the same way I feel when I watch the Calgary Flames play hockey. 
I want them to lose so hard all the time. I want people to get injured. I want someone to take a slap shot in the face. I want unforeseen, unexplainable instances of pain to happen to all of them at any time for any reason because they're the Calgary Flames and I hate them so much. That's how I feel when I watch. I hate the Vancouver Canucks the most, but I will cheer for the Canucks if they're playing for the Flames because the only thing worse than the Canucks winning is the Flames winning. And therefore, I will hate them so much. I cheer for the loss. The question is, when I look at somebody, am I cheering for them to win or am I cheering for them to lose? I'm going to drop this in a minute because that was so... Am I... When I look at somebody, how do I look at people? Am I cheering for the win or am I cheering for the loss? Oh, hey, that person lo- lost their job. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> do you know if their position's like open or? <laughs> M- Mark chapter 3. Jesus went into the synagogue again, for, starting at verse 1, and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. And just in case you're not up to date on your latest Jewish tradition 2,000 years ago, um, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. You can go to church, which was the synagogue, and then you can go home. If something is, like, broken in your car, walk the rest of the way. (laughs) If you're lifting something, leave the groceries. Don't go to a restaurant because you're making somebody else work. Just, I don't even know if you're, how are you even eat? I don't even understand. But you can't do anything on the Sabbath, okay? Nothing of meaning. So they're at church. They're in the middle of the synagogue. They're just hanging out. Jesus is there, and all of his enemies, all the haters who are going to hate, are there watching Jesus like, this is our moment. He's going to do something crazy. Just watch. And they're all there. In the Bible, they're called Pharisees, which just means religious jerk leaders. People who are there to manipulate you, to control you, who would rather see you lose than win, that's who it is. It's people who are there that would rather try and just make you do whatever they want whenever you want it instead of seeing you succeed. That's who these people are. They care more about following the letter of the law than they do the spirit of the law. They care more about the rules than they do you as a person. And these people, the haters, are watching Jesus. They're like, he's going to do something. Bring it, Jesus. We hate you so much. And Jesus looks at this guy and he's like, come up to the front. Just come on up here. If we're going to do this, we're going to do this in front of everybody. Everyone's going to see. Come up to the front. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he just turned to his critics because all the haters sit together. You ever notice that? They just always sit together because they need to give each other courage. So Jesus turned to the haters And he asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Good or evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. Um, this is a trick question. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored, healed. Once the Pharisees went away and met with supporters of Herod to plot how to kill 
Jesus. They cared more about killing Jesus than they did that a man who was born with a deformed hand no longer had a deformed hand. Now, that's significant because the Bible understanding at this time, the religious understanding at this time, I should say, the Jewish understanding was that if you had a deformity, if you, had, if you were sick, if you were like me and you had to wear glasses because, let me tell you, there was no glasses, so you were just blind, then you were feeling the wrath of God. You were under the punishment of God. He was punishing you for something you did. And guess what? If you didn't do anything, he was punishing you for something someone else in your family did. Your parents were jerks, by the way. <laughs> That's why you're like this. So when they see that man, they don't see a human being. They don't see a person. All they see is a deformity which is representative of a greater sin and evil in that person. And all they cared about was being right. They didn't care about that person getting life. That person being free from pain. That person being free from a social stigma that caused people to just be like, ooh, you know what that guy is? Sitter. You might as well, oh, that's a little loud. You might as well wear an armband you're sick. They didn't care. All they cared was trapping Jesus in something. But I love what Jesus said. Is this a day to save life or destroy it? If you flip forward into the New Testament to Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, the Apostle Paul says this, for you have been called to live in freedom my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Now, here's what's funny about this verse is that Paul was writing to a church. <laughs> he was writing to Christian people. He was writing to the people who were the good guys. He was writing to the nice people at church. And he said, hey, you know what you guys should probably stop doing is destroying one another. <laughs> you know what you should try doing is like not devouring. I don't know what devouring one another looks like, but you should stop doing it. What he was saying was these guys were so dysfunctional because they thought that they were just so free in Jesus. They were living in freedom. Everything is so wonderful, but everyone else is so terrible. They were beginning to establish a little bit of spiritual elitism because they're like, listen, we're free and you're not. And uh, you're a terrible person. And they would just attack and destroy one another. Is anyone here uh, a trust your gut kind of person? Anyone? Anyone trust you? Give me some hands. I've got some trust. Like, you're like, yeah, I'm going to trust my gut on that. Anyone? I'm that guy. I'm like, should I do this? Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to check, and then if, you know, there's no grumblies, I'm good to go. So I'm a trust my gut kind of person. Now, that's just kind of your natural, what we call discernment, but there's something else that happens, and when you become a believer, you get the fullness of God, and God does something amazing. He actually begins to heighten your spiritual senses. So on top of your natural response and your natural, like, gut feeling, he puts some sprinkles on top, and he adds this spiritual sense to it. We call it in, in all kinds of things, but a spirit of discernment, and you're like, what does that mean? It means... On top of your gut feel, you get the extra special sauce where you're like, yeah, I think God's saying this. 
And it's kind of just happens. For many of us, it's actually a very natural thing. You might have even actually noticed this if you've accepted Jesus into your life rather recently. You might have noticed you get into situations and things that might not have even like set you off. You just kind of become a little bit more aware of it. You're like, hmm, I wonder what that's about. But what can happen is that we start to use our spiritual gifts as spiritual weapons. We use it as something to put a barrier between us and them instead of being something that draws us closer. Can I tell you that discernment is not a substitute for relationship? You're like, what does that mean? It means your gut feeling how you categorize somebody, and it's even worse when you're, a, when, when you're a believer and you feel like you've got the sprinkles and you got the special sauce where you really, you just meet somebody like, I know what that person's all about. What, what we normally do, what our default mode is when we're just trying to, to understand life is we go, I know what that person's all about. There's something funny there. I'm going to put them in a box. I'm going to push them off the side. I'm going to stay away from that guy because there's something wrong there. That's what we do. But that, what that is is us using it as a weapon. Is it possible that when God highlights that thing to you, when you begin to actually understand that maybe something is not as it seems, maybe that's the invitation for you to draw closer to dig in. Maybe that's the Lord saying, hey, I'm bringing you to this person to help them with this thing instead of saying, I'm going to go hide in the corner because I'm afraid this big, bad, scary person is going to drag me into their hole of darkness and drama. See, as Christians, we... All right, let's just go. Um, Seb thought he brought the real talk the other day. No, no, okay, so here's the thing. If you've been around church for any length of time, if you've grown up this, this way or whatever, we, our default mode, like our, our automatic thinking, the way we understand the world, is that everybody else is big, scary, mad, angry, bad, and we should be afraid of them because at some point they're going to pull us into their black hole of darkness. They're going to make me do things that I didn't want to do, Mom. I didn't want to do it. No, the truth is you really did. They, you, you just used the situation to give yourself permission. And so what we do is we stay away from these people that we think are going to just, like, taint us. Instead of understanding that the fullness of God resides in me, the Holy Spirit is a part of me, and he wants to come out of me. He wants to radiate this hope and this life and this joy. And instead of me being afraid of going to the darkness, what if I started realizing that when I start walking, I'm like a beacon of hope, and I'm bringing light to the darkness? What if we started living and understanding? Thank you. It's living, understand. You guys could try that every once in a while as well. <laughs> living. Yeah, come on. If you're going to clap, you got to go all the way. Preacher's going to preach somebody. What if we started believing and living and understanding that they're not going to rub off on me? My whole idea is that God's love is going to rub off on them, that I don't need to be afraid of them, that I'm called, come on, that I'm called to them, and I'm going to walk over, and I'm going to pull them out of despair into hope. They're not going to pull me in. I'm going to pull them out. That's why God sent me there. That's why he sent you there. Come on, all the way, all the way, all the way. Everybody's going to all the way. Come on. He's standing, by the way. There you go. Just in case you're wondering, Craig is killing it, and some of you are not. And 
You're going to have to start sitting in the front row just to inspire. All right. Romans 12, live in harmony with each other. This is my, oh, this is, Paul's amazing. He's real talk to the max. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. The only people who call people ordinary people is people who think they know it all. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Earlier in the same chapter, Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself. We can live in a world of spiritual elitism. And I'm not, I guess, okay, we're all the way here now. So, especially if, yeah, go bigger or go home. If, especially if you come from, uh, some of you aren't going to understand what I'm saying. Some of you totally will. And so for those of you who don't, just bear with me for a moment. For, especially for, them, for some of us who come from, like, a spirit-filled background or, like, um, the charismatics or, for some of you, the charismaniacs, whatever you want to call them, the people that you're afraid of when you see them on TV. Um, if, if you come from that background, we are more susceptible because we believe that we have everything that everyone else lacks. But here's the honest truth. When, when God comes in, you don't get part of Jesus when he comes into your life. You get all of Jesus when he comes into your life. So when the Baptist down the road gets Jesus, they get all of Jesus. When the Adventist gets all of Jesus, they get all of Jesus. Presbyterians? <laughs> United? <laughs> Just kidding. Every, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what the Bible says. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Not some of Jesus, not little nice Jesus, all of Jesus, the fullness of God. What some of us have is some knowledge in some other areas and some expertise, and we access things differently. But here's the incredible, beautiful thing is if you think about the story of God, you think about the Bible. It started with 12 tribes in one country. There's a diversity. There's all kinds of people that was one big family and they were all different and they all had different functions and different roles and then he added he said not just Jews but anyone can come into this family so then every tribe tongue nation all around the world we're all a part of one family called the family of God and we all believe things a little bit different and I believe that we're going to get to heaven and what the understanding is going to be oh man you were right about a lot of stuff and they're going to be like yeah so were you And then we're going to go to someone else and like, man, you guys were right about a lot of stuff too. And we're like, yeah, so are you. Because God's weaving together this mosaic that is the family of God. And we can learn from each and every one of us. Here's the thing. We're only going to reach a certain amount of people. Right? We're going to reach people that like this. There's even some people that come that don't even like this, but they tolerate us. Because <laughs> they like Jesus. And are like, you know what? He's here. I'm like, he's also over there. You could go there too. Um, why the earplugs are at the back. So, <laughs> Jesus wants to use you to bring hope and to bring life and not to be afraid of anyone on the other side, not to be, uh, and not to be so puffed up in your understanding of who he is that you start turning away and shunning other people because you're living at another level because if you do that you're looking at others and you're cheering for them to lose because the only way that you know how to be better is for them to be wrong and you to be right 
And God says, when I look at, when you look at people, don't look at them hoping for a loss. Look at them hoping for a win and understand that you're there and you're going there to them to pull the gold out. Pull the treasure out. It's not to stay away. It's a rope that pulls us closer. Oh, but I see all this stuff. Do something about it. Help. Help them. Here's the thing. I'm pretty busy. Okay, cool. I'm busy the next time you call too. Like she's going to preach. You know, when I think about the verse in, in Mark 3, I think about it like putting it into kind of a modern interpretation. When he says it, he says, is this a day to save life or destroy it? If there's one thought that I could leave with you, it's a borrowed thought. It's, it's a beautiful day to save lives. Dr. Shepard's going to help me out. <laughs> it's his saying. I'm just borrowing it. It's a beautiful day to save lives. It's a beautiful day to save lives. You're like, he's beautiful. I'm like, I agree. That hair is phenomenal. His stubble is unprecedented. Um, when I think about the face of Jesus, sometimes I imagine Patrick, uh, what's his last name? Dempsey. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, that's what Jesus looks like. It's a beautiful day to save lives because I don't look at desperation and brokenness, and I go, oh, that's sad. I look at it and go, man, God's about to do something there, and I get to be a part of it. It's a beautiful day to save lives. This is a day to save a life or destroy a life. Every time that I look at somebody, I'm making a judgment. Is this my moment to, to give life, or is this a moment to destroy and crush somebody? You might not think of it that way, but it's like a, a black or white, blue pill, red pill situation. Am I going to make a choice? To do everything I can to shower this person with the love and affection of Jesus Christ. Or am I just going to be like, cool, you got lots of problems. See you next week. It's a crossroads. Hebrews 10, let us think of a way to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Not let's. You know, sometimes we get into a crowd and we just motivate each other the other way. It's like, did you see what he wore to church? That guy is wearing jeans and a denim jacket. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's a Canadian tuxedo, and I'm proud of it. But let's motivate each other to acts of love and good works and not the other way around. Like, what's coming out of my mouth? Because... Here's the thing. The things that are coming out of my mouth are representative of what's going on in my heart. I'm just saying. Why don't you stand to your feet? Please have to come on up. Just, just come on up. Just come on up. Just, let's just come on up. Can you go back to my thing for a minute? I just need to read you this quote. From Sean Bowles. We know the world in its current state without the help of Jesus is dark. God doesn't have to add 
his power to crush what is already headed for destruction. But he is asking us to partner with redemption, transformation, and hope. Been listening to the Engage Life, powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.